0: Financial services has been through a loop of let's put everything in cloud two. We probably want to spread our risk and do more than one thing. What if 75% of banks, for example, or 80% or whatever it is, rely on the same service providers in the back end? Maybe two, three levels abstracted and that provider fails and suddenly the financial system of the UK turns off. And then suddenly we're not going to be able to buy or import or export anything. So we're looking at a a situation of basically financial meltdown that makes the 2008 crisis look like you just dropped your pocket money. It would be huge if that system went down, even if it was momentarily.
1: Right, well, that sounds like a bit of a doomsday scenario. It's very, very unlikely to happen, but worth thinking about. Because we've all worked with the cloud for a decade or more. It's nothing new, we've all heard of it before, and there's a reasonable chance you're using it right now to listen to this show. In fact, 93% of businesses are on the cloud in some way, shape, or form. Honestly, it's surprising that number isn't higher. The cloud has become such a huge part of the way we do business over the last decade that it's hard to imagine a world without it. And it's brilliant. For most organizations, it's everything they need. But there are situations where it might not be the right solution, at least not right now. We've become reliant on the cloud, in particular, the so-called hyperscalers. And it works. It works so well that we're happy to throw everything at it from photos to the kitchen sink without necessarily stopping to think if we should. In this episode, we're going to look at whether the blue skies of the cloud might be starting to look like storm clouds, and explore some of the issues which are starting to appear as humanity goes cloud native. This is part one of a two-part special about cloud computing. In the next episode, we're going to look at a couple of the solutions and how the best way to use the cloud might be to go hybrid, whatever that means. listening to Technology Untangled, a show which looks at the rapid evolution of technology and unravels the way it's changing our world. I'm your host, Michael Bird. Okay, so first, a very potted history, just so we're on the same page. The cloud is essentially getting somebody else to manage your data or run your compute and workloads. It allows on-demand, scalable access to your stuff on a platform managed by somebody else who deals with all the fiddly bits as a service. If you want more cloud, you just pay for it. If you want less, you pay less. Somebody else keeps it running. So in theory, you can reduce your reliance on owned or on-premise servers and data centers. The term cloud was first coined in the early 90s, but the cloud really exploded with the launch of Amazon's Simple Storage Service and Elastic Cloud Compute in 2006. Google followed suit in 2008, and the rest, they say, is history. From a few early adopters, we are now, in the developed world, pretty much all in the cloud in some way or another. Everything from banks to our smartphones rely on as-a-service infrastructure to keep us going. So here's where the challenge comes in. And yes, I work for HPE who make this podcast and HPE are known for selling on-premise hardware. But even HPE know how powerful the cloud is and can be. So that said, challenge number one is this. If you don't own the platform, how do you know your data is in the right hands? And, well, how do you know it's actually secure? Put simply, what happens if something goes wrong? It's a massive potential issue. And we're not just talking about a few celebrity photos being hacked here, embarrassing though it is, we're talking about major data loss. And I guess at its most extreme, potentially the stalling of world economies.
0: My name's Adrian Lovell. I'm the CTO for our financial services industry customers here at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. There is scaremongering and there are legitimate concerns. I think it is completely legitimate to say that you can run pretty much any service within financial services on a cloud provider. The question is more should you do it and how do we make sure it's done in a way that is safe and secure? And by secure, I mean from a system stability point of view so when we design and test technology systems in financial services it has been core to financial services for as long as i've been in the industry that we test breaking them regularly it is very common that we either pull out plugs turn things off see what happens to make sure that the systems don't fall over everything is duplicated everything's doubled up The idea of a single point of failure is heresy. You do not have single point of failures anywhere in your systems. Every single disaster scenario is documented. There's a manual that says if this thing breaks, this is what happens. The challenge is when we get into consuming things as services, we need to look at what is that service? Fine, I might have some SLAs from a service provider, but what if that service provider fails to meet those SLAs, what's our plan B? Okay, fine, we'll have two service providers. We use service provider A, service provider B. And therefore, if A fails to meet their SLAs, we'll flip over to B, everything's good. The problem is, what if service provider A and B, somewhere down the line, are both using the same core underlying infrastructure or technology platform? That way, one failure can take out both your service providers and suddenly your whole... Environment's fallen over. And that's a problem you didn't really have when it was all in your own data center being managed yourself because you knew end to end the entire stack. Now you don't. And that's pretty bad for an individual firm. But where it gets really concerning and where the regulators are now looking at or starting to talk about what should we do here is what if 75% of banks, for example, or 80%, or whatever it is, rely on the same service providers in the back end, maybe two, three levels abstracted and that provider fails and suddenly the financial system of the UK turns off. Firstly, it's unlikely just to impact the UK, but let's for argument's sake say it is the UK. A financial service system just turns off because of a technology outage. That effectively will impact the value and the worth of the pound sterling it could halve, it could go much lower. And suddenly, A, you can't pay people, and B, you can't go to the shops, and that's kind of a bit annoying. But if the value of the pound is based on the rest of the world having a level of trust that the economy of the UK is as it is and relatively secure and relatively stable, and then suddenly it isn't, the pound isn't going to be worth anything. And then suddenly we're not going to be able to buy or import or export anything. So we're looking at a, a situation of, basically financial meltdown that makes the 2008 crisis look like you just dropped your pocket money. It would be huge if that system went down, even if it was momentarily. So that's what the sort of problem we're looking at now is how do we legislate for that? Do we call certain downstream technology providers critical infrastructure and regulate them? Or do we require financial institutions to understand more about the technology architecture of all of their
1: providers? Or do we tell people not to use these things? I guess some people listening might think, oh, that will never happen. But that has happened with some of the content delivery networks that protect some of the website. I mean, there was a, I can't remember which company, but they had an outage. It took a load of websites out for a couple of hours. So it's not a million miles away from that, really, is it?
0: No, it's not. It's, and even if it was, fundamentally, that's what we do in financial services. We assume that the thing that's never going to happen might happen. And as soon as it happens somewhere, even if it doesn't happen in our industry, we plan in case it does. So a good example would be 9 11. Prior to 9 11, we didn't really have regulations around the number of miles that you had to have between data centers. And then suddenly a whole bunch of data centres went out at the same time in 9-11 and we went, let's get some more legislation around that. So now there is legislation around geographical disbursement of technology.
1: Nevertheless, despite the theoretical risks of global economic meltdown, It seems more and more organizations are moving to the cloud with several governments, including the UK and soon South Africa, to declare themselves cloud first and prioritize digital transformation ahead of traditional on-prem IT. So what's driving this transition forward despite the risks to your data and technology being owned by a third party you can't control? Alex Hilton is the CEO of the Cloud Industry Forum, a body which promotes responsible cloud adoption and conducts annual research into digital transformation trends. His answer probably won't surprise you.
2: Every year in the 12 years we've been running our research, security has been the big inhibitor or barrier to cloud adoption. So people have been making that step. As we move forward now, we really are seeing significant changes in there as organizations have really embraced what cloud can deliver for them so it is starting to save money and indeed 96 percent of our organizations that we surveyed believe that cloud has saved them money i talk about three kind of basic tenets of cloud technology i talk about flexibility agility and scalability and if you go what does that actually mean to our businesses like well every business wants to be flexible because they've got to adapt to situations they've got to be agile because they've got to move quickly around that and you want to be able to scale whether your business is growing or indeed slowing there's periods of austerity at the moment but also many businesses have seasonal aspects to what they do in all kinds of sectors people have had to adapt unbelievably quickly over the period of the pandemic with these changing working priorities that they've suddenly realized and actually cloud over the pandemic genuinely has proved its worth where people were hamstrung and tied to offices and so forth we don't need to be doing that anymore They've been moving into infrastructure, SaaS services, you know, the likes of Office 365, uh, Microsoft 365. Those are all easy, low-hanging fruit for businesses to adopt. And I think cloud has really proven its worth as a technology in its most holistic sense, and that will continue.
1: I guess that money, that um, cost saving, could also be like people's time (laughs) in in that sense.
2: That's a good point. We don't consider, you know, how we uh, power our houses or our offices these days. We don't have somebody doing that. That's just a service that we pay for that comes into the building, and that's great. And then what we can do is free up our time to make sure we're thinking about well, how we're now going to use that capability if, if they're moving to this technology. You are, to, an intent, to all intents and purposes, outsourcing your technology. So do you need an IT department? Well, yes, you still do need an IT department, but you can repurpose some of the people in there to actually look at fundamental things that your business might need to grow.
1: So cloud services are becoming more popular and saving organizations time and money, particularly when it comes to the easy stuff like simple storage, emails and office operations. So that brings us to challenge number two. What about the more complicated products and projects that major organizations work on? Russell McDonald is chief technologist at HPE, covering hybrid cloud, and he used to work for cloud hyperscaler Amazon Web Services.
3: So I started really experimenting with cloud in 2011. Amazon had been going a few years, maybe about three years. Google Cloud was just starting out with some very basic services. But the interesting thing about cloud back then was, that did IT in such a very different way? And you had this almost unlimited scale and and great performance. That was kind of where I started and got really kind of evangelical about the potential for cloud to radically change the way we do compute. I think what happened subsequently was that enterprises always had concerns about, but what about my virtual machines and what about security and what, you know, quite rational concerns because enterprises have spent years and decades defining governance and processes and service management and, you know, basically how do you run IT? And so those were all the objections initially to why you would adopt cloud. But eventually that turned into, well, I want to put my VMs in the cloud. I want to do more of that day-to-day compute in the cloud. So we've really kind of evolved from cloud being radically different to what we used to do, to cloud being this kind of, well, you can do almost anything IT-related on these platforms. But it's not quite as simple as that and you know my experience was that naturally as aws you know i'd be talking to customers about how they're going to migrate all of their workloads into aws but of course lots of these workloads that run on virtual machines are old they're running on old versions of software they were never architected for a cloud environment they can't benefit from some of the the new technology in cloud and as a result, there's almost limited value. What I was finding with with clients is they'd get 50, 60% through a cloud migration, they've moved all the easy stuff. That's all worked great because it was easy. And then they get to some of this kind of old burgeoning, highly architected, highly interconnected stuff with large volumes of data, and it starts to get difficult because customers didn't want to re-architect all these workloads, they just wanted to lift and shift them they'd persist at this, but but then you end up, we kind of coined this phrase, unconsciously hybrid, which is you've not been able to exit the old environment completely, but you've also adopted a cloud environment and you end up with a compromise. You're using both environments, maybe not not in the way you intended, and maybe you're not getting the benefits, the full benefits of both. And I think there was a lot of fashion for kind of going all in on cloud and simplicity. You know, there's some flawed economics here, which the business case for cloud could be justified by we can shut down all of our data centers and there'll be cashable savings out of that. It's a bit of a trap because you can't realize those cashable savings until the last workload leaves the data center. So if you get 80% through our cloud migration and then realize the, the last 20% is too difficult, where are you hosting the 20%? You thought you were going to get rid of everything. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff you can't get rid of. What are you going to do with it?
1: The answer in many cases is to store it somewhere else. And the likely place is off the cloud in your existing data center. So you end up just paying twice. And when we talk about the last few percent of the work and trying to force it on the cloud to finish the job, that is when things start to get really quite expensive. It's easy to think about on-premise computing as just being server racks and desktop computers, but that's because it's what the majority of us probably know from our daily lives. However, there are whole industries built around on-premise computing where actually moving to the cloud isn't just tricky, it's basically impossible without throwing away an eye-watering amount of perfectly good infrastructure.
4: I'm Adrian Becker, I work for Softworks Limited, we're specializing in Microsoft security and cloud infrastructure. I work with organizations ranging from 250 seats right up to large enterprises with 10-20,000 staff worldwide. Adrian has been
1: advising clients on IT infrastructure and cloud projects for around 20 years. He's not afraid to push back against clients who suggest ditching their specialist infrastructure to go all in on cloud when, well, there's no value in it. Can you give some perfect use cases for the cloud and some perfect use cases for not going to the cloud?
4: Perfect for the cloud. I'm a relatively young business or um, I've been around for a little bit. All of our software is available as software as a service. We've got a, a workforce that is spread across a large area, we are mostly services-based, we don't actually manufacture anything, they are a perfect case because you can literally pick all of that up, run all of the services, the applications, the systems that they will require can be put into the cloud. And when we then go back to organizations where the clouds aren't perfect, what we find is normally organizations that that's been around for quite a while, they've invested a lot, so for example, R&D, manufacturing and a good example would be I've just engaged with an organization we've talked about the options for the cloud they have actually written a piece of software over a 15 year period specifically for their environment and is not cloud-aware. It will never be cloud-aware in its day. It's been written to integrate with their on-premise environment, some of their manufacturing processes, some of the equipment that's probably 10 years old and costing millions to replace. And we looked at them and the first thing question was, can we change this application to be cloud-aware? Well, we can't buy something off the shelf to match this. So we either got to go and bespoke change it or secondly, we need to rewrite it And when they looked at the cost of rewriting, it was actually prohibitive in comparison to what it would be, the return they would get, because they would get, yes, they'll be able to move to the cloud, but they're actually not going to get any new functionality and they will be pausing their development for four years while this application gets rewritten. So from their point of view, it made no sense to move that whole system to the cloud. And we're seeing that quite often with manufacturing, research, and development. And a good example would be a relatively small company. We could easily move them to the cloud, but the piece of equipment that they needed to be able to talk to the cloud service cost over two million pounds to replace. So suddenly somebody sat down and gone, hold on, but it's still working. It's still doing everything we need to do. Am I really going to go and spend two million pounds just so that I can tick a box that says this is now talking to our system in the cloud. Or shall I leave that little system alone? And that's what we sometimes forget about. And even IT people, we get so excited about cloud, it's the flexibility. But actually from a business point of view, does it matter? Do I care? What's riskier from a
1: security perspective? Having everything in the cloud or having everything on premise?
4: I think all of it is risky from a point of view cloud yes the cloud security there's a lot of processes you can leverage to improve the security you can put in mfa you can put in the breach detection and everything but again at the end of the day i always have a saying it doesn't matter how much you spend all it takes is one person and and if you want a good example the pentagon got hacked and they spent how many billions so what chance does actually organization have so you just want to make sure you secure yourself as best as you can within the limitations and budget so the cloud reduces risk in areas that if you are compromised that there's multiple failover systems there's additional security additional detection but at the end of the day if you really want to be secure cut yourself off the internet don't allow any email in and just be completely standalone and back into the the dark ages Uh, be a hermit absolutely be a hermit i like that at the end of the day security is very important but it can't stop you from being a business as well you've got to get that balance right versus risk the cost of securing yourself and the ability to continue providing a service
1: it's an interesting point and one i wanted to put to alex hilton clearly that there, there must be some organizations where there is stuff that they currently can't put into a cloud server you know can't put onto a, a hyperscaler at the moment for whatever reason do you think that's likely to always be the case or do you think in another 10 years time everything's going to be put into public cloud or, or a hyperscaler or, or similar
2: yeah very good question i i think it will take time and i think there will be some organizations and some applications that will always be reluctant to move to cloud okay and that might simply be because they're secure or the individuals have maybe a lack of trust in there or in actual fact what we describe you know within the industry is legacy technology okay so organizations do still use mainframes they do still exist a lot of enterprise organizations still have a mainframe in use within their organization you know the principle if it ain't broke don't fix it does apply in here There are benefits to using on-premise technology, absolutely. And I'm not, for a moment, shying away from that. Organizations actually, and again, our research backs this up, the biggest challenge organizations have in moving to cloud services nowadays is actually not security, it's about legacy, and legacy compatibility and implementation in there. So how do I migrate my on-premise service to a cloud-based service? And that's a big issue that organizations really have to figure out how to overcome.
1: It's a challenge for many major organisations and one which you could argue is holding them back. On the other hand, as Adrian and Alex said, if it's not broke, why fix it? I'm interested to know, though, how this affects probably one of the most important industries of them all, financial services, where time literally means money. It was time to speak to HP's Adrian Lovell about whether the financial industry might be one of those where the right answer was giving the cloud some space, so to speak, and keeping the operations, as in many manufacturing and R&D organisations, on-prem. And if not, how do we keep key cloud infrastructure IT safe and secure? Can you talk to me a little bit about cloud adoption in financial services? Seems like it could be something that's I don't know, not necessarily compatible?
0: You'd be surprised. It, it, it's fairly widespread. I think it's one of those industries that has been pretty much at the forefront of technology for years and years. It's very much a technology-driven industry. Different levels of maturity across as you would get on on any any industry. But if anything, financial services has been through... Most firms, anyway, have been through a loop of let's put everything in one hyperscaler to "Mm, we probably want to spread our risk and do more than one thing and adopting cloud with multiple hyperscalers, multiple on-premises data centres and multiple colo sites as well. That seems to be where most people are and the industry as a whole seems to be trying to find where that sweet spot is rather than debating should there be a sweet spot. Pandora's box is opened. We're not going to be able to ban these things. What's the right answer? And there's lots of questions and there's lots of potential solutions. The problem is we've got to do it in a way that A, doesn't put an undue burden on the financial services firms in question, and B, doesn't damage the technology industry, because especially in the UK, is pretty much the centre of the fintech world from a financial technology point of view. We don't want to destroy all the new companies offering services to financial services companies by unduly regulating them, but we do need to protect the system.
1: I suppose the perception of financial services is that there's just tons and tons of regulation and checks and balances. Around the cloud, there must just be loads of regulation about where you can put stuff, how you can put stuff, data retention, that kind of stuff.
0: The financial services industry has typically been very good at regulating technology because it's been doing so for so long. Regulation hasn't really changed that much as it pertains to using cloud services because most regulatory frameworks are around showing that your business is resilient and that your customers are are protected regardless of what your technology choices are. So it is very much beholden upon the financial institution in question to demonstrate the technology choices they've made are appropriate or not, which is often the hurdling block for people it is their internal departments don't really know how some of these more modern technology services work. But regulation is beginning to look a little closer at the technology itself rather than simply looking at the outcomes, which is traditionally what we've done. We're beginning to get concerns definitely from the UK regulators and the EU. I think the US are coming along as well with similar concerns around concentration of risk, which is if all financial institutions are reliant on the same one or two services and those services fail or have an issue, then what happens? Because then we have a more systemic risk to the financial system of the planet. And that would be a pretty bad day for everybody, not just those of us that work in financial services.
1: It's hard to believe that the world economy could be based on a potentially breakable technology system. But helpful, if nothing else, to know that the problem has been identified and that banks and regulators are coming up with solutions and testing for failure. But even so it's hard to believe that there's literally no limit to what can be put onto services owned by somebody else, be that banks or much smaller, less regulated organisations. And that brings up challenge number three. Who owns what we do on the cloud? Neil Williamson is a commercial lawyer. He runs EM Law, based near London's Old Street, known as the Silicon Roundabout for the huge number of startups and tech giants with offices on or around the junction. Among many other things, his firm specialises in making sure that tech-heavy businesses are compliant and safe when it comes to collecting and storing data, particularly on the cloud. Which does sound like the kind of thing you'd want lawyers for. It sounds like there's, no, there's not necessarily any legal restriction as to what data can be put on the cloud, but perhaps instead it just has to be really thought through. There are no laws that say, not in the UK
5: at least, that say you can't put this in the cloud. You're right. You've got a responsibility as a data controller to make sure the data's secure, so you need to make your own assessment
1: about that to figure out what's appropriate. Do you think there would ever be a shift where the government would either mandate or advise as to what types of data can live in the cloud?
5: Yeah, no, it's a good question. At the moment, the government policy is cloud first. That's the message that is sent out to all the government departments when they're thinking about buying a software solution. But I guess if GCHQ's data on Amazon web services was hacked, I could imagine you know the government having a look at that. One likes to think that a lot of risk assessment has, has been done already. I'm sure it has. The assessment has been that it's more secure To put data in the cloud, the problem with the cloud is that you, you know, you can end up losing a bit of control. You're entrusting your data to somebody else. That's the issue, really.
1: It sounds like if you work with a lot of startups, a lot of them will be using software as a service. A lot of them will be putting their data in the cloud. So, what do these organisations need to be considering? If you want to buy SaaS services, you're the customer.
5: Then, not all SaaS providers are gathering vast amounts of personal data, but quite a few of them are. The question is how much personal data will you be giving? If you're getting a solution that really is about helping your business processes, they are going to be getting your, some of your staff's login details, names, addresses, emails. If that's But if that's all it is, you know, you don't need to really worry too much about that, frankly. If the SaaS provider is going to be taking health record data, that's a different board game altogether. So you need to be damn sure that you're working with someone who is robust and who, who's doing things properly either way you're going to be entrusting a sas supplier with a load of personal data so you need to make sure that the sas provider is going to look after it properly because you are the data controller you're responsible for making sure that the data is kept securely and that your the data subjects whose personal data you've collected that they are aware of what you're doing with that data where it's held who has access to it, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. So It's a data controller, you've got a lot of responsibilities. So when you're choosing a SaaS provider, you've got to make sure that you're choosing someone who's going to look after that data. You're going to have proper contracts in place with them. And the SaaS provider is, is worth suing, frankly, you know, in case things do go wrong.
1: So it really is the case that we're kind of being left to our own devices when it comes to data security in the cloud. I don't know how that makes me feel, probably a bit nervous. Obviously, in some places we're protected by things like GDPR, but that doesn't stop systems from breaking and mistakes from happening, especially as we trust more and more third-party software to store our data on third-party systems. As Adrian Lovell pointed out with his example about 9-11, you can't really prepare for the unknown, And whilst the government may not be considering more legislation for protecting the cloud and the data we store on it, who knows what might happen in the future. That, in turn, could have a huge knock-on effect for organisations if they have to wind back some of their storage plans. Of course, all of this is hypothetical. One thing that is bound to happen in the future is the planet getting warmer, and that's going to impact our lives in a whole load of ways, from economic upheaval to human upheaval. The cloud has been seen for years as a kind of -of get-out-of-jail-free card for organisations when it comes to their environmental impact and sustainability policies. By shifting all the carbon emissions of their IT infrastructure off to a third party, the CO2 created by their organisation drops dramatically. But the thing is, it doesn't actually drop off, it's just been moved. There is, of course, an argument that the hyperscalers like Google, Microsoft and AWS are doing us all a favour by grouping our IT together and adapting their capacity to meet our demand. But was that oversimplifying it? Russell MacDonald is passionate about sustainability in the technology industry, so I put the question to him. Surely they've got racks and racks of servers, they can switch those servers off, they could power it from a big wind turbine or some solar panels or some batteries, they can uh, optimise everything, voltages on CPUs within an inch of its life. Like, that must be a more efficient, more sustainable way to doing it than buying lots of different versions of the same thing in lots of tiny little data set or you know, relatively small data centres dotted around you know, the world. Surely that's more sustainable.
3: What you're getting with cloud is hyperscale. It's hyperscale automation. So there are benefits and these companies got deep pockets so they can buy shares in wind farms and solar farms and all those sort of things, which is great. Although this isn't the cloud provider's fault, but just in general with IT, IT is one of the fastest growing sectors in the world. We're already consuming more energy as an IT sector than the whole of air travel globally. And we're growing exponentially year on year. So there is a kind of global challenge about the digitization of our economy means that our energy consumption is actually becoming unsustainable. And cloud providers and tech providers who buy up renewable energy aren't really solving the problem because we need a lot more renewable energy to decarbonize the rest of the world. So it's all very well saying my cloud workloads are powered by renewable energy, but the steel plant is still running off of gas power or coal power. So in that sort of term, there are bigger problems to worry about. And I think renewable energy for cloud is, yeah, that's is a good thing, but it's not the solution. And it doesn't mean that you've got to get out of jail free pass. There's almost a kind of idea with cloud that there are no limits on your consumption. You know, it's hyperscale. You can use as much as you like. But I think the flip side of that is we're in an age where we're having to reconsider how we consume and
1: that that touches all aspects of our life. So whilst it's great that the big organisations and hyperscalers are investing in renewables, that doesn't necessarily solve the problem of the enormous amounts of energy that they are using. And besides, do their customers really care about the environment anyway? Well, you'd hope so companies all want to make a song and dance about their green credentials these days. And green IT is a huge part of that. The man with the figures is Alex Hilton of the Cloud Industry Forum.
2: We really kind of wanted to get a bit of a handle on how important sustainability is to organisations and what that actually means. So, you know, we looked at this and we looked at ESG, which is Environmental, Social and Governments, and Sustainability. So we put these all in the same bucket to really get a bit of an understanding around it. And the long and the short of it is... 84% of organizations, businesses, this is UK businesses, said that environmental and sustainability is really important when they're choosing a cloud vendor. It's really important. It's a top draw priority when they choose a vendor. However, when it comes to priorities when choosing the cloud service, or particularly the provider who's delivering the cloud services, the sustainability bit actually falls quite a long way down the stack. So remember, 84% say it's super important, top priority. However, when it comes to actually making that decision, 53% said no, price is the number one thing, followed by availability of services, followed by the trust of the provider. And actually sustainability fell way down the stack there to only 25% of organizations. So my question there is really are businesses just paying lip service to this is it something that we think is an important thing to do because we've been thumped over the head with this for quite a long time and we recognize the importance of it certainly perhaps for our children's generation but actually they're not really voting with their feet when it comes to the purchasing side of that
1: do you think that's part of that is because if you're putting something on somebody else's infrastructure it's kind of out of sight out of mind
2: the kind of tangibility of it yeah Yeah, I think so. I like to hope and think we're a little bit more intelligent and sophisticated about it in terms of our approach to technology. And I think, you know, again, when you talk to all the big providers these days, they actually all have a very good and a very strong sustainability story, at the very least carbon neutral. Microsoft, Google and AWS have all made very strong statements in context. So I think that's important. I think anybody who's utilizing those cloud services from any of those big vendors and then is working with a third party who might be sourcing those services on their behalf, just has to think through, how does that actually reflect for me? Would I change my cloud provider who has a poor sustainability record because actually price is my priority? Or will I pay a little bit more for that service, even though it's gonna cost me more, but a great sustainability and eco record around that one. So it's an interesting one. It's the first time we've looked at this really in any more depth, but it is something that clearly is you know, preying on people's minds
1: catastrophic crashes legacy systems which won't migrate tricky data protection laws and questions around sustainability this has been an episode all about how the dream of the cloud may be getting flipped upside down but it's not all bad news Firstly, whilst the cloud has some specialist problems and we shouldn't shy away from the potential world-ending economic crashes, these are enterprise level and relevant largely to specific use cases. We aren't all running banks. Not at home anyway. For the vast majority of us, the cloud is a convenient, accessible way to get hold of what we want and serve people products they want be that world-changing, multi-billion-dollar, enterprise-level workloads, or simply to share a cute photo of your cat. But what if there was a better way? In the next episode, we'll be looking at some of the solutions to these problems, from finding the right people to hybrid models, which mean you get the best of both worlds. Until then, you've been listening to Technology Untangled. I'm your host, Michael Bird, and a huge thanks to Alex Hilton, Adrian Becker, Neil Williamson, Adrian Lovell, and Russell McDonald. You can find more information on today's episode in the show notes, and be sure to hit subscribe on your podcasting app of choice so you don't miss out when our next episode lands and to catch up on the last two series. Today's episode was written and produced by Sam Datta and me, Michael Bird. Sound design and editing was by Alex Bennett with production support from Harry Morton and Sophie Cutler. Technology Untangled is a Lower Street production for Hewlett-Packard Enterprise.